You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, Harvest. Happy anniversary. Yeah, well, it's not my anniversary, but appreciate that so much. It's great. Seven years, that's a, uh, it doesn't sound like a long time, but it is a long time, and uh, you have a lot of things to praise the Lord for, and I hope your hearts are full of um, just celebrating Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, right? It's all about him, right? That's why we're here this morning. We're here for him and for him alone, and we want to now listen to his word. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at four verses this morning, 38 through 42, actually five verses. And, um, you know, I'm just really grateful to be able to be here, and um, I think it's the first time I've actually driven with no traffic on the QEW. So I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. I could almost commute this on Sunday morning. So um, just so grateful to be here. Let's just, let's just pray together. God, we need you. We need you. There's nothing else we need. We're just reminded of those words in Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd I shall not want. And God, that's why we need you, because we know that when you are present in our lives, we know that when you are speaking to us, we have no want. Everything else pales in comparison. And so now, as we open your word, we pray that you would do what you promised to do, take your word, spirit, and reach down into the depths of our soul. You know, convict us if we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Glorify yourself in all things. We pray that you would do that again this morning as we open your precious word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I don't have to remind you about how busy and hectic life can be at times. Um, September for many of us in church circles is always a very busy month, a very hectic month, an exciting month, but it can be extremely busy and hectic at times. And I have found this to be true. When life is very full, it's difficult to determine what the best choices are to make. Kind of like when you need to make the best choices is when the times are really hectic, and yet when it's really hectic, it becomes very, very difficult sometimes to make the best kinds of choices. You're pulled in all these different kinds of directions, right? Like, what's the best choice for me? What's the best choice for my kids? What's the best choice for our church? It just doesn't happen just for individuals. It actually happens for groups of people, too. When life is hectic, when it's frantic, sometimes it's really, really difficult to know what the best choice to make is. And Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, is a story of two sisters. Many of you are very familiar with this story, story of Mary 
and Martha, two women who are pulled in very different directions. And here it is, here it is. This is what you need to know from this message this morning. It's this, when you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. Now, whenever I read this story, I have these two reactions that are going on in my heart. So I have this, my, I have my, a longing. When I read the story about Mary and Martha, I long for my life to be more like Mary's. You know, she's the one who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching and she was commended by the Lord for making the best choice. And so I, when I read this story, I think, wow, I really want my life. I, I be, you know, there are these times in my life when I actually am like Mary and I know the benefits of actually sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching and how rich that can be. But that's kind of going on inside of me. But in the other side, whenever I'm reading this story, I realize that my life is actually a lot more like Martha's. I have these two things going on. There's this resignation that I have. My life looks a lot like Martha. So let's jump in here. Look at verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her House. Now, before we jump into the meat of the story, I want you to notice three things out of verse 38. I want you to notice this. First of all, there's a they to this story. It says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. You say, well, why is that so important? Well, it's super, super important to this story. You need to understand that when Jesus, at this point in time in his ministry, when Jesus is walking down the street, he's never walking alone. He's never walking alone. Sometimes he's, got, he's with three people, three disciples. Sometimes he's with 12 disciples. Sometimes he's with a very large group of disciples. In fact, earlier in this chapter, here in chapter 10, it talks about how he commissioned 72 of his disciples to go out and do ministry. So we know that there, during this time in his ministry, Jesus is hanging around a number of people that would be following him. Some of them, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's 12, sometimes it's 72, sometimes it might even be bigger than that. And then there were the crowds. All right? Jesus never went anywhere alone at this time in his ministry. He's always got people around him. And you say, well, why is this so important? Just hang on to it. You need to understand there's a they to this story. There's a they to this story. There's a large group of people with Jesus. And it says here then that Jesus, look at the verse 38, Jesus then entered into a village. You say, why is that so important? Because he's doing what he commissioned the 72 disciples to do earlier in chapter 10. He's actually doing what he asked them to do. You say, well, what is that? Well, let's go back to verse 4. In chapter 10, always good to study God's word in context. Got to study God's word in context. This is why we understand the, the meat of what's going on here. Look at what it says in verse 4. He sent, he's appointed 72 others to go out ahead of him. Two by two, it says in verse 1. And then it says this in verse 4. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. 
<coughs> excuse me. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You say, well, what's he doing? He's commissioned these 72 to go out, and they're supposed to go into these villages and these towns, and when they go into these villages and towns, they're supposed to find a house. He calls it the house of peace. And, and as long as they stay in that town to do their ministry, they're supposed to camp out at the same house. This has a lot to do with the story that we are reading here in, in, in chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. He's entered a village. He's doing what they commissioned the 72 to do. Martha's place is the house of peace. He's entered into the village. He's entered into the town, and he showed up at Martha's house. And he's staying. In other words, he doesn't show up for lunch. He showed up for as long. He's going to be there for as long as he is in that village. And then notice this third thing. She actually welcomed him into her house. Some of us might straight. We say, well, of course it's Jesus. Yeah, okay, great. But just like the Good Samaritan, the story right before this one, where the Good Samaritan shows mercy through hospitality. So this story is about hospitality and a kind of welcome that Jesus wants. So let's paint the picture for ourselves. Please, you have to understand this picture. You have to paint this picture in your mind before we dive into these verses. Jesus and probably a bunch of his friends show up at Martha's house. And they're staying. What happens then? Well, as part of the ancient Near Eastern culture, they had this high value on hospitality, which literally means welcoming strangers. All these people, Jesus, at least we know Jesus showed up, probably some other disciples, if not a few more people with him, show up at Martha's house. What happens next? Well, I don't know. Like, how about a market run, right? Um, can you see how frantic the house is? She doesn't, she doesn't have a side of beef hanging in the meat cooler out in the garage. Right? She doesn't have all this excess food. She's going to have to make a market run. And we don't know how far her house is from the well, but we know this. There's no running water in her home. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine welcoming a bunch of strangers into your house for an extended stay without any running water? Bring them in, man. Bring them in. That's what we do. We welcome strangers. And so she brings these people into her house. You just have to think about all the activity going on in this home. And then add to this that this is Jesus. This is Jesus who shows up the front of her door. When I was younger, I used to, I used to wonder what it would be like to have someone famous over for dinner. Right? I would say, hey, mom, wouldn't it be great if the queen could come over for dinner? 
right? And uh, I wonder how many of us would actually love to have the queen show up unannounced. Could you imagine if the queen showed up at your front door unannounced with her entourage, rang the doorbell and said, hey, you want to hang out for a bit? And after those awkward moments, you know, you kind of bring that everybody sits in the living room and you're not... You don't know what you're supposed to say, what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to serve her, right? You know, maybe things like this are running through your head, like, well, I I sure hope she doesn't use that washroom, right? Or, you know, I hope she's okay with craft dinner for dinner, you know, things like, things are flashing through your head. Listen, listen, that's the queen. This is Jesus. It's Jesus. The one who has been healing people in town after town. The one who just fed 5,000 people in Bethsaida. The one who would eventually die and rise again. Our Savior, our Lord, the Messiah is at her front door sitting in her living room. Now, let's read the story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. And as we see in these verses, one thing is absolutely necessary. One thing is necessary, and that is what Mary chose to do in verse 39. You see the phrase one thing in verse 42? One thing is necessary. You say, well, what is that one thing? Well, that one thing is what Mary chose to do in verse 39. It was Mary's way. She chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his teaching. Mary is the outlier in this story. She's like the countercultural one. Martha is doing what you're supposed to be doing. And Mary should have been doing what Martha was doing. Right? The ancient Near Eastern culture, they value hospitality. It would have been an expectation that they would have taken care of the strangers who showed up at their house. Martha is doing what she's supposed to do. But instead of jumping into all the activity of hospitality preparations, Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, I'm going to guess that most of us in this room, because we do not value hospitality the same way that they did, welcoming, I mean, some of us don't even want to bring our relatives into our homes. But welcoming strangers into your home, I mean, could you, to have that kind of high value of hospitality, many of us in this room, we're kind of looking at this story and going, well, of course the best choice is to do what Mary did and Martha did. It was like, if it were up to me whether I was going to actually serve a bunch of people in my house or sit in the living room and talk to them, I would just rather write a check for somebody else to actually do the serving and I'll just hang out with people. But that's not what this story, we have to understand this is all countercultural. 
you got to flip it all on the other, on the, on the other side. you got to flip it upside down. That's what we would like to do. You have to understand, nobody has taught Mary to do this. No one has taught her that this is what she should do. In fact, her whole background, her whole history, her whole culture is screaming at her. Serve the strangers, serve the strangers, serve the strangers, and yet she chooses to sit at his feet, sit at his feet, sit at his feet. She never had a parent who told her, sit at his feet. She never had a sister that ever said, sit at his feet. She never had any kind of background in anything that would have said, sit at his feet. It was always going to scream at her, serve them, serve the stranger. No one's taught her to do this. She's not lazy. She's not looking for an excuse to get out of work. She's not even trying to upset her sister. I'll get back at you, Martha. No, that's not going on, and that's nothing to do with this in this story. She just realizes, somehow she realizes that in this moment, what she needs, what's more important than anything else, is to actually sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. And Mary's way needs to be our way. God's message to you and to me and for this church as you move forward for another seven years and as Lord tarries or another 14 years or however long that you are journeying together, it's this. This is what our message is. Mary's way needs to be our way. God's message to us is that what we need, what's more important than anything else is this one thing that's necessary for our lives. Jesus. Amen. You say, well, okay, well, what does that look like? What does it look like then? Then, then? Well, you, it's exactly what it looks like in the case of Mary. Did you see that here in verse 39? She had a sister called Mary who did what? She sat at the Lord's feet, and she listened to his teaching. In other words, first of all, she was focused on Jesus. She sat at his feet. She took the posture of the disciple. In those days when the rabbi used to teach, the disciples would sit at the feet of the rabbi. It was a recognition of um, the authority of the teacher. There was an expression of humility and respect and also an expression of commitment and loyalty to the one who was teaching. It was a way of you saying that you were truly devoted to that one. It was, it's just another way of saying that you wanted to be in relationship with him. How's that going for you these days? How focused are you on Jesus? So many things can happen that can pull us away from that. How focused are you on Jesus? Actually sitting at his feet. Maybe not literally sitting on the carpet, but maybe in your heart you're really sitting at his feet. You're humbled. You're, you're expressing to him, I'm in relationship with you. I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. I'm loyal to you. She's focused. She's focused on Jesus. And then it says this. She not only sat at his feet, but she 
listen to his teaching. She was focused on Jesus, but she was also fixated on his teaching. Fixated on his teaching. Now, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Right? Some of you are hearing this morning, and some of you are not listening. And you're saying, can you tell? Yes, I can. This is not the first time I've actually spoken in front of a group of people before. I can tell who's hearing and who's listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening. It turns out that in the Gospel of Luke, that's actually a fairly big theme. Just keep your, I, you know, I know we don't do this a lot here at Harvest, but just keep, keep your finger in Luke chapter 10 and turn back two pages to Luke chapter 8. I thought maybe you could kind of, you know, go back a few pages and not get lost kind of thing. Look at Luke chapter 8 and the parable of the, so- of the soils or the parable of the sower. It says, as he's telling this parable in, in, verse, um, <clears throat> in verse 8, it says he's describing the different kinds of soils that the seed would fall on or the message would fall on. It says in verse 8, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called this out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus isn't just saying, hear. What's he really saying? He's saying what? Listen. Okay, he's not just, he's not just saying, hear. I mean, that's not what his main point is. His main point is not, not whether you're able to hear his words. It's, the, it's whether you truly are listening to his words. Listening to his words. He goes on and he says this in the same chapter. Look at verse 15. As he's explaining the meaning of the parables, he says in verse 15, As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. In other words, he shows you the progression here and what's going on. He's describing for you what listening is like. Not only do you receive the message, but you hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Right? Is that you? So as you're... As you're listening or hearing the the message being proclaimed out across this auditorium this morning are you taking the words of life and the spirit allowing the spirit of god to let it deposit into the soil of your heart so much so that it's true that you're going to hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience that's the difference between hearing and listening he's not done though Okay, same chapter, same chapter, same chapter. Look at verse 18. He says, Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and for one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Again, Jesus, when he's using the word hear, hear, he's not talking about are you able to actually hear physically. He's talking about are you listening? Are you listening to my words? Because here's the truth. Take care how you listen, because the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He's talking about the Pharisees. Pharisees who think that they are listening, but in reality they're truly not listening. And so he says, the people who think that they have, are actually, it's going to be taken away from them. Jesus is pretty amped up about how you listen to his word. How you listen to his word. Then he says this in verse 21, same chapter. He says, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who, what? Hear the word of God and 
do it. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Right? All the, you can see it in a number of different places in the Gospel of Luke as well. And you say, well, well why, why, why is it that we pay so much special attention to Jesus' words? Because his words are the words of life. Right? So just go back, go back two more pages. Go back two more pages to Luke chapter 6. I told you this is a theme. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus is finishing up his Sermon on the Mount. He says, um, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Stop, pause, think. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Why, why, do, we, why do we listen? Why do we sit at his feet and listen to his teaching? Because his words are life. It's, it's like when you listen to his teaching and you allow it to sink deep into your heart so much so that it, it produces fruit and obedience in your life, you're like, you're like the person who built a house on solid rock, a solid foundation, so that when the stream breaks and the water pounds against that foundation, guess what happens? It stays standing. It stays standing. That's, that's, that's why we do that. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. Focused on Jesus, fixated on his teaching. Focused on Jesus, fixated on his teaching. How are you doing with that? Are you focused on Jesus? Are you fixated on his teaching? All right. I don't, I don't know what kind of routine you have uh, in your life. I'm just going to share a little bit about what my routine is, not because I have this down for sure. I do not have this down. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like to spend a lot of time sitting at the feet of Jesus and reading and listening to his word. Um, I've, I've learned this to be true. You can't, you can't just eat one meal a week. And... Uh, you know, if you look at me, you can tell I've had more than one meal, you know, this week. And, uh, but what is true physically is also true spiritually, okay? The reason why you, you don't eat just one meal a week is because, is because it's not sustainable over the long haul. The same is true spiritually. The reason why we don't just eat one meal a week is because it's not sustainable. And as amazing as it is, that you get to come to a place like this once a week and praise the Lord together and listen to the Word of God opened and explained and the Spirit of God challenge your life with it. Listen, listen to me. It's not sustainable. Do you believe that? You believe it when you're if you are focused on Jesus and then you are constantly fixated on his teaching, right? It's, it's not sustainable. 
And so it takes time. It takes time. It, it's, it's a relationship. When we open God's word, this is not a textbook, right? We are actually sitting at the feet and reading and listening to his word, right? This is, we're concentrated time with God, the God of this universe. We're submitting ourselves. We're placing ourselves under the authority of Jesus and his teaching in our life. I, 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 I view it as a time where I'm actually paying attention, paying attention to the God of this universe. And that's why when I read it, I usually read it out loud. I don't know if you're like me, but my mind goes all over the place really fast. And I find that when I read it out loud, that's super helpful, or I pray it out loud, or I ask God to impress upon me what he, I need to pay attention to. That's why I underline things, and I circle things in my Bible, and I write in the margins different things. I mean, if you were in my house Early in the morning, you would hear my wife and I in different rooms, kind of, it's like, it's like this back and forth, and Tiffany were just trying to read God's word, not to each other, but just so that we can pay attention. I want to pay attention. I want to actually, I want to listen. And I know I'm sitting and listening when over a period of time, God's word does what it was designed to do in my life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. What's it profitable for? It's profitable for teaching. That's instruction. So when's the last time you were reading God's word on your own and you were instructed by the Holy Spirit? It's, it's profitable for reproof. For, that word means to convict you, to conviction. When's the last time you were uh, moved to tears in the conviction from God's word? Moved to repentance. When's the last time you opened God's word and read God's word? You were focused on Jesus and fixated on his teaching and you were reading it and you were moved to tears. Conviction for sin in your life. Profitable, profitable. It's profitable for that. That's why God gave us his word. It's profitable for that. It's profitable for correction. That is restoration or improvement. When's the last time that God has spoken directly to your heart and mended your broken spirit or corrected your faulty understanding? It's profitable for training in righteousness. When's the last time after you spent some time reading God's word and it launched you in a process of discipline and change in your life when's the last time don't tell me you're focused on jesus and fixated on his teaching if you don't have a last time when you choose to sit at the feet of jesus you've made the best choice One thing is necessary. Many, many things pull us away from the one thing. I want to show you that. Go back to Luke chapter 10. I want to show you here in these verses some of the things, some of the things that pull us away from the one thing. It says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled 
about many things. Now, let, let's not be harsh towards Martha, right? It's too, that's too easy. It's too easy to be really harsh towards Martha. Her intentions are fantastic. They're super, super good. She wants to serve Jesus. If I took a microphone right around this room right now and I said to you, how many of you think it's a bad idea to serve Jesus? I would hope I would never hear, have anyone in this room say, yeah, I think it's a really bad idea to serve Jesus. But in this story, Martha's way is not Mary's way, and uh, we don't want our way to be like Martha, and I want you just to understand this. This is what Martha represents. She represents a frantic life and a fractured heart. She's distracted, she's anxious, she's troubled. And I don't know how many times I've cried out to God, God, please, don't let this be my way. And yet so often it is. Distracted, anxious, troubled. Distracted, anxious, troubled. How many of you right now are distracted, anxious, and troubled? Those things, those things can lead to a frantic life and a fractured heart. I want you to note this first thing, this first thing that, that is pulling her away. It's the thing called busyness. It says right, did you notice? It says right there in that verse, but Martha was what? She was distracted with much serving. Right? She's pulled away from the necessary thing by a very good thing. Let me say that again. She's being pulled away from the necessary thing by a very good thing. I'll say it one more time. She's being pulled away from the necessary thing by a very good thing. And that good thing is, is serving. And I want to say that this story is only about Martha's fractured heart, but it's not. It's actually about her frantic life. Actually, a frantic life almost always leads to a fractured heart. You can't live an overpacked, agenda-driven, overachieving, excellence-at-all-costs lifestyle without it impacting your ability to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to the teaching of Jesus. If you want quality in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to require quantity of time in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, well, how do you know that's true? Well, just ask your spouse or your kids or someone else that, you know, like... If you went to one of your children this week and you said, you know what, we're going to spend quality time together this week and that 15 minutes I give you are going to be amazing. What kind of response do you think you get from your kids? It doesn't work that way, Dad. I mean, I need, I need, I need time. I need quantity of time to be able to get quality of time. And that's same true, same is true, same is true with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Even Jesus, while he was here with us on this earth, in the midst of his busyness, always look, was looking for ways to break away to the mountainside to be with his father. You know, all these times, all through the Gospels, he, he, he wanted to get to the mountainside. He's telling his disciples, let's get, let's get away from each other. We got to spend some time on our lawn. The crowds were always following him, but it was like, we, gotta, we need to break away. They're always trying to find ways to do that. Even Jesus did that. 
Jesus is not opposed to serving. He spends a whole chapter, chapter 24 and 25 of the Gospel of Matthew, talking about the end times and talking about how we need to be ready for the return of the king. And he talks about how we're supposed to serve. So he's not anti-serving. He's just concerned with how the drive to serve has caused her to make the wrong choice. You have to understand, it was a good thing that she wanted to serve, but it wasn't the best thing. Doing something for Jesus can never replace being with Jesus. And some of the busiest people that I know that are, call themselves followers of Jesus Christ are also the most distracted followers of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because they've replaced relationship with Jesus with doing things for Jesus. Be careful. Busyness can be a problem. It can be a problem. Disillusionment can be a problem. You see in verse 40, verse 40, she goes up to the Lord. I just, I can't, this is, this is a crazy question. Could you imagine yourself actually asking Jesus this question? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Wow. Like, wow. Like, that, that's, that takes some... Wow. Right? She's, Lord, come on. Lord, don't you care? Can you not hear it in words? What's the phrase you would use that would wrap up all these words? Here's what the phrase would be It's not fair. It's not fair. Jesus, this is not fair. How come she's doing that and I'm doing that? Make her come, make her come out here and do this with me. It's not fair. My wife and I had this conversation about this just last night. Tears running down our face. It's not fair. Sometimes life throws stuff at you, man. Like I tell you, and it, it feels like it's just not fair. In that moment, in that moment, in that moment, you need to make sure that your hearts don't captivated with things like this, that I deserve this or unmet expectations of others. Because if your mind goes that direction, it's just going to take your mind off the goodness of God and his ongoing love, and it's going to drive a wedge between you and the God who died for you. And then there's this last thing here in verse 41, disappointment, disappointment. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, Jesus doesn't specifically tell us what those things are, but we can imagine things like responsibilities. Like, she doesn't want to let Jesus down. She actually loves Jesus. She wants to serve him. It's expected that she would do that, right? Or, or maybe it's a thing like her reputation. What will people think of us if we can't actually serve these people well? I don't know the things that are disappointing here, but there are things that are that are disappointing here. You see, many things pull us away from the one thing. There's one thing that's necessary. There are many things that pull us away from the one thing. And here's, the, here's your last point. Here's your last point. Choose the one thing. 
Choose the one thing. You see what Jesus says in response to her in verse 42? But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I wish I could tell you that there is a special formula that you would follow to solve all this problem here that are addressed in this word, but there isn't. There's no formula that takes, takes all the distractions away. There's no formula that takes everything else away in your life. Here's, here's what it comes right down to. You have to choose. Every single day, you have to choose. Every single day, you have to choose. You have to choose the one thing that's necessary. What is that? Jesus. Sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. You have to choose to do that every single day in the face of all the distractions, in the face of all the things that are coming against you. I know, I know some of you are New parents, I understand. I was a grandparent last night with our grandkids, stayed overnight last night, and I'm telling you, I have a renewed appreciation for everything that you're going through. I've done it before, but somehow time wiped that out of my memory bank, but no longer. Okay, I get it. I understand it. I understand the challenge, but you still have to choose. Fight for what's important. Businessmen, I get it, I get it. You have to get up early in the morning, or, or women, who are, you have to get up early in the morning, you're on the road early, you come home late at night. I understand, I do understand that. I get it, I get it, I get it. But you have to choose the one thing that's necessary, to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. You have to fight for that, you have to fight for these things. Of all the choices that you have available to you, and you have so many choices available to you every single day, you have to believe that this is the good portion that no one can take away from you. Not TV, not entertainment, nothing else. Everything else pales in comparison to this single necessary choice. Jesus Christ, sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. Everything else pales. You have to choose Jesus. He's always the better portion. He's always the best choice. He's always the one necessary thing. You say, but, but, but you don't know my life. It doesn't matter. I want to have empathy. I want to have compassion towards you. I know, I know because I'm a person too and I face some of the same issues that you face. I get it. I understand. But that doesn't matter. I have to choose. And for some of you, for some of you, this might be an invitation for you to choose for the first time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. Do you know that because of your, the sin in your life, the sin problem that you have, you actually can't have a relationship with Jesus? There's this gap between you and, and God. But because of Jesus and what he's done for you, the fact that he willingly came to this earth and died on the cross for your sins, that through faith, through your expression of faith in him, you can, you can actually have a relationship with Jesus. You can actually sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. Maybe that's you this morning. I'd encourage you to come running towards him. 
Don't wait. Come running towards him to sit at his feet. Confess your sin. Pray with somebody afterwards. Have somebody show you from God's word the condition of your heart and how that Jesus Christ can solve the condition of your heart so that you can enjoy a relationship with him now and forever. For many of us in this room, this is probably an invitation for us to keep following Jesus. Remember, frantic life leads to fractured heart. Doing for Jesus never replaces being with Jesus. You see, when you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you've always made the best choice. Let's pray together. Father, listen to our hearts. I pray that your spirit right now would do what you can only do, and that is turn hearers into listeners. So much pulling at us. So many things trying to pull us in different directions, Father. We can't use those as excuses. Fill our hearts with a passion for Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with a sense of wonder that the God of this universe actually wants to sit and have a relationship with us and actually communicate with us through his word. Wow. So much beauty, so much wonder, so much fulfillment, so much contentment, so much peace, so much life change awaiting for us. If we just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. God protect us from the good things that aren't always the best things. Help us to choose to sit at the feet of Jesus to listen to his teaching give us discernment give us wisdom give us courage to make the difficult choices may we be used by the spirit of God to call one another to something greater than what's going on in our lives now may men stand up and call other men to account with love but with truth call each other to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his teaching. May women in love proclaim truth to their sisters. Make the best choice. Fight for the best choice. Sit at his feet. Listen to his teaching. God, I pray that this church would be like that, that that statement of faith, that conviction that we have that God's word actually changes lives for the past seven years will be the same conviction that we have for the next seven years. And if you tarry for the next 14, and God, I just, I, I pray for that. I just pray for that kind of conviction. I pray for our elders here that they would always understand that the best choice is for all of us to be sitting at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his teaching even as we lift you high in praise and 
worship you, King Jesus. I just pray, I just pray that we would always be people of the word. Convict our hearts. Encourage our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.